you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Eric the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. On American Family Radio, thanks so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sweet Victory and J-Mac. There you are. I heard you that time. I didn't yes. I didn't hear that you're in the Addison. I didn't hear me either. Time. Okay, okay. Well, just make sure that we're all <laughs> on the same page. But uh, Sweet Victory and J-Mac, Mr. Mac, are on tap uh, yes. helping us to navigate the show. Today we've got a guest on. Uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer joins us. We are going to talk about... His latest book, No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. And I, I mentioned this on Friday, and I knew that I wouldn't be able to get to all of the book. Um, I did skip ahead. Uh, I, I think I read the first two and a half chapters, and then I did skip ahead to uh, to chapter 10, mm. uh, which has to deal with the indoctrination of our kids. Oh, I'm sorry, chapter 9, chapter 9. Um, will our children be indoctrinated by the enemy? And and much of what I expected, I found um, the evidence and the confirmation that we are witnessing a full-scale attack on our yes. kids yes. and the authority of parents. It's ongoing. It's not something that's new. It's not, this is not, shouldn't be revolutionary. Certainly, if you listen to this program, we talk about it on a regular basis. But one of the things that I guess we've come to expect from the longevity and the faithfulness of Dr. Lutzer mm-hmm. is that he is going to strike right there, right on the note, hit the nail square on the head. Yes. Uh, we Will Not Be Silenced did that. And this book, No Reason uh, to Hide, does the same thing here yeah. just, just two years later. I mean, it seems like just yesterday we were talking about We Will Not Be Silenced, and and now here we are. Um, he's got another book out kind of running circles around us. I have a question, though. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I'll get into this when we have Dr. Lutzer on, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm wondering if, if I'm, I'm wondering if what I read in the, um, the opening of his book uh, is a sign that this is the last book that he's going to write. Okay. And I, I mean, I don't know, but I, 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 I have a question about that. I'll tell you, though, I, I really like um, to be, to be able to read, you know, something like this because I, it, it's, it's encouraging to have voices that would speak clearly yep. and loudly and not compromise and yep. just say what it is and, and, and what they're seeing without yep. being uh, or feeling like intimidated or I got to, you know. So I think I think it's great that he has been writing these books. And if it, if it is his last one, we don't know if it is, man, you know, he has left, you know, a treasure. That's exactly what. Yeah, I was thinking what a contribution. Yeah. He's made to the body of Christ yeah. um, in in aiding us to be faithful, uh, right. to continue holding the line, to continue holding like don't break formation. That's right. Uh, seems to be the call, and uh, and 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 I think that it's an appropriate call. And I, I wonder about the state of the church. And I, I wanted to ask you this question mm-hmm. on air so that we could just kind of talk about it um, in in setup for our time with Dr. Lutzer. But I'm wondering if as you look at the church. 
you know, because we are often warning, we are often taking the stories and then filtering those stories through a biblical lens. We are asking what I feel like sometimes are tough questions. They shouldn't be controversial questions because they are questions that if you are faithful to God's word, you have an answer Mm -hmm. for those questions. So there shouldn't be a great deal of controversy. And yet, and yet in 21st century America, among even those who believe themselves to be faithful, you find controversy. I don't know how you account for that. But my question is, do you think the church as it is now is ready for where we are now and where, based on even the way you and I are warning our listeners Mm -hmm. where we're going, do you think that the bride in America, do you think that the church in America um, is ready? Have we been prepared? Yeah. And and if not, if not, mm-hmm. what does that preparation look like? Yeah, I, I don't think, by and large, we are ready for where we are now and where we're headed. Now, I think there, there are pockets and remnants, and, you know, like there is a remnant, but there, there, there are people who are, have been uh, uh, taught and instructed and, 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 kind of, and see what, where things are going, you know, that will be ready and are looking uh, out for those things to come. But I think, by and large, the the, um, the church in America in general is not ready. I think we've been severely weakened. I, I think, you know, just the, what we experienced in the past couple of years, like with COVID and all that, mm-hmm. shows how weak the church could, could be. You know, mm. the lockdowns and the, the and, I, and I would say the, uh, the ease in which we just kind of capitulated and said, okay, you know, um, and not every church, of, of course, but many, yeah. you know, um, I think that's a sign of where we are, that, that we are being more led than we are leading, mm. you know. And I think also when you look at um, uh, the devices, like I'm, I'm thinking about social media and different mm-hmm. things like that, how pro, uh, you program for likes and, and all this kind of stuff. I think we oh, get caught yeah. up in that. So when you have a culture that don't like you, yeah, you know, that could be earth shattering. Yes. I think yes. we, have a, uh, we have churches full of people who are caught up in that. And that that has kind of reprogrammed our mind to want to be liked by the world. Like I have to be liked, and I, and I don't think it's 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 a subtle thing, but I think you know when it comes down to it, as things continue to turn, as they're turning, like man, the hammer is going to come down even more, you know, up, upon those who name the name of Christ. And I think because of how we've been living in a, I, I believe a weakened state, mm-hmm. that is going to be even that much more severe. Yeah, you know, we we have been pretty comfortable. In America. Yeah, you know, really. As, as I, I mean, by comparison to our brothers and sisters around the world, yeah. you know, I, I think some of the things that cause us great fear, they would almost say, oh, I wish that that's what I was enduring. Mm. You know, I mm-hmm. think the things that, and, and maybe even some of the things that are on the horizon. Yeah. It's really interesting that you bring up COVID and the COVID lockdowns, because one of the questions I'm actually planning to ask Dr. Lutzer, it'd be really interesting to hear how his um, answer is similar to yours. But I'm wondering, from his perspective, um, how what he thought that the COVID lockdowns revealed or exposed about the church. I think his answer is going to be very similar to yours. Actually, I I, I, I think so because I like mm. what else can you say? Yeah. About the faithful church, that if we have a biblical command mm-hmm. that we don't neglect meeting together, right? And right. you know we were able to just be kind of thrown off it's like the, you know that game where you you know it's like you push you see mm. how much you can mm-hmm. take 
And for us in America, it seems to me that it didn't take a lot of hits for us to kind of lose our our balance and, yeah. and to kind of be thrown off. It seemed like it didn't take much, and I think um, I think the world was watching it. I think people who have uh, ill intent, you know, who maybe are you know God haters, mm-hmm. I think they were watching that to say, "Oh man, yeah. it was it was easy." Yeah. And if they weren't watching it at the moment, I think looking back, you could see. And and I and I think it was very destructive for the church, you know, just the loss of fellowship, the loss of uh, the loss of like you know being with other believers and 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 what the body of Christ is, you know, it can't be replaced by watching it on a video, you know, right. on television right. or whatever. Like right. that in person feel that uh, of the family was was lost, and I think that really really hurt the church. I think it would be so shocking to many Christians, and this is unfortunate, but I think it'd be very shocking to many Christians to learn that there's a great deal of New Testament living that just cannot be lived out by watching a church service. Yeah. And 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 why do I need I feel and you know help me with this as soon as I say that I feel like I need to give a disclaimer mm. but not for those who cannot go out. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about those as we would define as shut in. Cannot I right. why do I feel like I need to give a disclaimer for perfectly healthy able-bodied people who just feel like, well, I mean, I can watch it, right? Well, and I, I should yeah. resist that because the right. Bible is very part, clear. Yeah, and I think that's part of it. That feeling of, man, I feel like I got to give a disclaimer. I think that's all a part of the programming. Yeah, of what they want us to to do. Like, so if you do say something that's against, you know, yeah. what was put out there, I think that they want the second guessing. Like, oh, but you know, but I, didn't but I don't mean, want to offend is, anybody. Right, you, right. Jesus still loves you, and you obviously right, still right. love Jesus, but. But we have to be able to say that the Bible has enough one another's and each other, mm-hmm. right, like to keep us busy until Christ returns. Right. And those things simply cannot happen alone. They cannot happen in the latest moves of like virtual reality right. living. Those things right. just can't happen. And I'm thinking, you know, we talk about like why we're not ready. And you mentioned the likes and you, you mentioned how we have been programmed for approval. Mm-hmm. Like we have been programmed to literally have people right. like follow us. And that cuts against, you know, what we are as Christians. Like the the word tells us that we won't be liked. Absolutely. You know, but when you have a whole society is like like me, you know, I need to be liked. My goodness. If you don't respond this way, that means you don't like me. And we <laughs> kind of fall into that. Yeah. Man, you know, it's gonna be hard to when when things really get hot and heavy, you know, to to not be uh, deterred by that. Well, I know? think that's what we're seeing right now. You know, Jesus said in John chapter seven, um, verse seven, he's talking about the world hating him mm-hmm. because he testifies against it that its deeds are evil. Mm-hmm. And and if you think about the church, and this goes back to that preparedness, like what it is to be a church that is faithful, a church that is ready, mm-hmm. a church that is without spot or wrinkle. I I think it's difficult for us to find ourselves in that place because frankly we just we just don't want to be hated. Yeah. And so what is the requirement of that? If the if the world hated Jesus because he testified against it that its deeds are evil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then that means in order for us to not be hated, we must not testify against the world that its deeds are evil. Mm. It means that we would have to do the opposite of what Jesus did. And and indeed if you think about it, that's exactly what we find today. Yeah. We find Christians who just are like, no, the Jesus that I will present to people, he's the Birkenstock one. Like he's he's the one with the daisies. 
he's the one that, you know, just loved on people Mm -hmm. and did not speak of sin, did not speak of repentance, did not speak of turning away Mm -hmm. from your wickedness. Like none, none of those things fall in the definition or in the category of the type of Jesus they are presenting. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason that that Jesus is presented because then I won't be hated for presenting this Jesus, the Jesus who loves everyone and, and came just to tell them just the, the Jesus that loves everyone and just came to tell you that it's like the person it's, 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 it's the Stevie wonder Jesus. I just called to say, I love you. I just, I just came to say, I love you. Yeah. That is not why Jesus came. Mm. Jesus came to give himself in our place, to die in our place Mm -hmm. for the sin that we committed against a holy and righteous God. He alone could pay the penalty for that sin. Mm -hmm. So he came and did that. When Peter is like, no, Lord, you're not going to the cross. He's like, get behind me, Satan. Right. This is the reason that I've been sent. Like strong words, right? But like move out of the way because anyone or anything that would get in the way of Jesus going to the cross does not have the mind of God. Mm -hmm. Where does this come from? The evil one. So even today, anyone who would represent or present a Jesus other than the one we meet in Scripture who did come to die for our sin, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, you cannot die for someone's sin and not make mention of it. Mm. You cannot die for someone's <laughs> sin, okay, and not make mention of the fact that, yeah, you are sinful, mm. and yeah, the wrath of God is on you, mm-hmm. but I will tell you this, I will give myself in your place that that wrath will be poured out on me, and so that way you can be justified, but we ignore all of that, and why? Because we do, as you say, we want to be liked, yeah. we want to have the followers, we want to get the shares, We want people to come calling for us. Mm -hmm. We want people to be looking for us. And I think getting back to my original question, those are the things that have left us largely ill-prepared. Yeah. I I think so many pastors, and, and man, God bless our faithful pastors, those men who are laboring in the Word of God and preparing us for where we are right now. Unfortunately, there's still quite a bit of our pastors who are preparing us maybe for like 1985, maybe 1999, <laughs> you know, and, and haven't quite made it here. And, and it can right. feel like a quantum leap, but it is a leap nonetheless. This is where we are. That's right. The body of Christ must be equipped to stand in this time. In this time. With That's the right. eternal word of God. It's Amen. all right there. You don't need a new book. Just apply the book here in it's this time. It's already here. Aaron the Addison. We <laughs> we'll, we'll take the break. When we come back, hopefully we'll have Dr. Erwin Lutzer on. Stay right there. Healer of my body, healer of my soul, God of all power who makes all things whole. I need your mercy. I need your hand. You're a healer. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Cam with Healer. Dr. Erwin Lutzer joins us now. And I, I almost feel like Dr. Lutzer doesn't need an introduction. But, but, <laughs> just in case there's someone going, who? 
Um, I, I will make the formal introduction. Uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer is Pastor Emeritus of the Moody Bible Church, where he served as a senior pastor for 36 years. He's also a prolific writer. He's made incredible contributions to the body of Christ in the books that he has written, uh, among them Rescuing the Gospel, The Cross in the Shadow of the Crescent. And uh, just a couple years ago, we had him on to talk about the book, We Will Not Be Silenced. Mm-hmm. We've heard from our listeners, one in particular, saying that he took that book and began walking through that book as a Sunday school course at his church mm-hmm. and that it has made such a difference, uh, I would say, in the caliber of the Christian, right? <laughs> just understanding what it is Amen. to stand up for Christ in our generation. He joins us now to discuss his uh, latest book, No Reason to Hide. Dr. Lutzer, thank you so much for joining us. We're so I'm so glad that I can be with you today, and thank you for all that you are doing we're living in some very troubled times, but uh, there is direction in God's Word. Amen. 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 Indeed, we are living in troubled times. I want to ask a question um, just right out of the gate here. As I was reading through the book, and I haven't finished it, but I intend to, um, but as I began, I, I read this. With this book, I pass the baton to the next generation of believers, urging them to run the race of life, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And you continue. Am I, am I reading that to understand that? Is is this your last book, Dr. Lutzer? <laughs> no. When I was writing that, I was thinking it might be. But, you know, I have to tell you, I have another book in my face. Okay. <laughs> All right. i got to so, tell you. you okay. know, I'm passing that book on, and the next <laughs> one that I write will be another baton. So who knows? You know, my father lived to 106, my mother to 103. Glory to God. So I might not be passing off the scene too soon yet. Well, that is a around. relief. That, that is a relief to me. I saw that, and it, it kind of caused me a little jolt there for a second. I thought, is Dr. Lutzer saying, I'm done, that's it? Here's your last book, guys. Live, live happily for Jesus. Um, so that is that is very encouraging to hear. Let's, let's talk about No Reason to Hide. You know, when you look at the title, just kind of right off the bat, you, you think that there are several implications here in the title. One, that we are living in concerning times. Uh, two, that there is the very real temptation among Christians to cower. Uh, mm. And then three, that we need to be encouraged not to do that. <laughs> yeah. um, is is that right? Is that the implication here? It really is. And what I did is I looked around the culture and I said, what are the pressure points that the church needs to face? And how do we think through these issues? And so that's really the purpose. You see, It used to be that if you were a good chemist, you could get a job in a Christian university if you have the credentials and you're a great teacher. But today, you'll be asked, are you in line with the multiple pronouns Mm. and the LGBTQ agenda and Mm -hmm. so forth? So it's a whole new day. And in that first chapter, by the way, I also make the uh, assertion that... um, I don't know who said it first, but evil never retreats on its own. It only retreats when it is confronted by a more powerful agenda. So that powerful agenda ultimately is the gospel. It is believers. And so we need to think through how to respond to this. And I might say in passing, we did not ask for this culture war. Mm-hmm. The culture war came to us, mm-hmm. and uh, we have no choice because it's being imposed upon us in many, many different ways. And so the question is, 
how are we going to respond? And so I deal with um, even issues regarding race. Yes. I show that diversity, equity, and inclusion, for example, works against us rather than for us. Mm -hmm. All of those things, the transgender movement, how propaganda works, and so forth. So I'm trying to help all of us think through what is a Christian response to our collapsing culture. Yeah, and it, it, I would say that it's increasingly difficult for the body of Christ to recognize that we are living in times that we could not have imagined. And, and the reason I say that is because I think that people keep hoping for the pendulum to kind of swing back. It's, it's almost like a, a place of denial that we think mm. if we just vote better, um, you know, maybe if we're nicer to our neighbor, then all of this will kind of just smooth over. But in the book, you say that the church is facing or headed toward a day of reckoning. What is that day, and are we prepared for that? Yeah, the day of reckoning that I'm referring to is the fact that there are churches that are submitting to the culture. I mentioned that there are three different churches. There are those that are complicit. That is to say, they give the culture everything that the culture wants. Mm. And then there are those that are complacent, they stand against the culture, uh, but um, they live in a bubble. They're not in favor of what's happening, but they live in a bubble. And then there are those that are courageous, and they are willing to say, you know, we have to preach the gospel. We always lead with the gospel, but at the same time, we have to help our parishioners think through what living for Christ means in this particular day. You know, with reference to your saying, if we voted better, well, we've just had elections, as all of us know, and even though I don't endorse any candidate or any political party, we can see the implications here, uh, you know, for those elections, which, of course, didn't go the way many people hoped they would. So it's as if we can. God is saying you can no longer depend upon all of the supports that the Church has had mm -hmm. throughout American history, what we need to do now is to recognize that it is built on Christ alone, not even the Constitution, because the Constitution means nothing if it is ignored. So we're in a new day, and in America we've not traveled this way before, but in other countries the Church has always been an island of righteousness and a sea of paganism, and they've always been able to say, here's a line in the sand that we will not cross. Mm. So as a minister, um, I want to ask you, what should we be doing across this country in our churches to get uh, our people ready? You know, like right now, what are those things that we uh, need to be doing? Mm. Well, I think, first of all, Obviously, what we need to do is to be truly gospel-centered. Mm -hmm. For example, let's take the issue of race. Critical race theory always keeps tearing apart what Jesus died to bring together. Come on. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do is to work toward, uh, you know, racial reconciliation. We need to stand together at the foot of the cross and then ask ourselves, how do we do it going forward? Now, I also think, as a pastor, there are some issues that are, um, that are maybe not best dealt with from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. 
And if that's the case, there can be seminars, there can be information, there can be those who are brought into a church to give guidance in certain areas. But the church should not be... um, should not simply pretend mm-hmm. that things are the way in which they once were. And, you know, to your answer, to your question, rather, in the last chapter of the book, No Reason to Hide, which is the book we're discussing today, in the last chapter, it's on how to suffer well for Christ, because mm-hmm. we've not had to think about that before. No. Right. Uh, you know, we need to rethink that, because um, the mo- most Americans think, you know, if the church were all that it should be, we would always have prosperity, we would always have freedom of religion. Well, this has not been true historically. And so Jesus said, blessed are you. Wow. <laughs> if men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. So we need to look at it differently. And in that chapter... I think I list uh, six or seven or eight different ways that suffering for Christ is viewed in the New Testament. So these are all ways that we can help our congregations, but um, it's going to come down to individuals standing against the culture. That's why every chapter in this book, you'll notice, ends with a story of someone who stood against the culture, because what God is looking for are those who say, we will not bow to the culture. Yes. Rather, we will be faithful even at per- great personal cost. Absolutely. You use the um, illustration, you share this story, um, being asked a question about how this leftist train can be stopped. And and when I say that, I, our listeners, I'm I'm confident, because of the topics we cover on this program, know exactly what I'm talking about. They recognize the indoctrination. They recognize the collective demand that everyone bow and everyone use the preferred pronouns and Mm -hmm. all of these things. And they recognize um, how divisive our culture has grown. And and people are looking at that and wondering, you know, how can we slow this down? But you use, I believe it's a, a Bonhoeffer illustration. And I'm hoping that you could share that with our listeners today because I think it's so insightful and rightly exalts the need for the the proliferation of the gospel. Yeah, I think the illustration that you're referring to is that the one where Bonhoeffer said, if you're on the wrong train, it doesn't help if you walk backwards from the front to the back. Mm -hmm, (laughs) You know, mm -hmm. in other words, uh, the culture is going to do what the culture is going to do. Actually, I didn't write this book so much to reclaim the culture as I wrote it, to reclaim the church. Because after all, it is the church that has to stand against the culture and against everything that's happening. And so, uh, you know, we need to understand that you and I together, obviously, are not going to change the culture. Maybe the church can't even change the culture. But what we have to do is to say, How can we be in the world but not of it? Where do we draw the lines? For example, you raise the issue of multiple pronouns. You know, in the book I say that if Bert wants to be called Bernice, that's fine because names aren't gendered. But I just don't see how we can 
go along with something we know is fraudulent, namely to call Bert she, when in point of fact we know that he's a he, and no surgery can change that. And the the destructive nature of the surgeries, even among young people, Mm -hmm. is horrible. One of the things I try to do in the book is to help parents think through What do you say if your child comes home from school and says, I think I'm trans? Yes, let's talk about that. How do we respond to that? And how do we answer those kinds of questions? Yeah, Dr. Lutzer, let's let's talk about that. I think that is so important. And and by the way, we have many people who write in um, who are dealing with exactly this. But but can we back up for a second here? Because I think um, before we address how parents should deal with this, I think we have to address that this is happening by design. Like, this is the intent of our public school system to indoctrinate our kids, to, to rob the hearts and the minds of our kids. Uh, we foot the bill. I always say these are the kids that you're feeding grits to. I'm in the South. So these are the kids that you're feeding grits and bacon to. But at the same time, there is a war going on. They're your enemies, and it's because they are being indoctrinated. So can we kind of go back to that? Because you also point that out in the book. You know, I don't want to become melodramatic, but remember Hitler was right when he said that whoever controls the youth controls the future. And he, in effect, said parents have the responsibility of feeding the child, clothing the child, but the heart of the child will belong to us. It will belong to the Reich. And so what you have today is this wedge that is being put between parents and their children, deliberately so. Now, why is it so important to sexualize children? By the way, uh, you know, you maybe haven't gotten that far, but in the book, No Reason to Hide, I have a chapter on the sexualization of children. Mm -hmm. But why is it so important? Because in their confusion, they are easily led. They are told... You have to make up your own mind about these things, but actually the curriculum already is so designed that they will agree with the radical left and that agenda. A child goes to school, he feels guilty because he sees all of this sexuality, often pornography and and, uh, perverse pornography, and so he doesn't know how to handle it. So somebody can say to him, I think you're trans. And he thinks, you know, I have image problems. I don't like my body. I wonder where God was when I was put together. And so you know what I'm going to do? Maybe, after all, I was born a girl. Mm. And so he begins to lean in that direction. And, um, you know, since we raised the question, and the question was, what do parents say? We have to help young people understand that self-perception is not always an accurate guide as to who they are. Mm -hmm. You know, you can go into a psych ward, find somebody who believes that he's Napoleon. That doesn't make him Napoleon. Maybe the best example I, I use this in the book is a young woman has anorexia. She looks into the mirror She thinks she's overweight when, in point of fact, she's starving herself to death. Now, is her self-perception correct? No. The bottom, bottom line is that really 
it is not a body problem. Mm-hmm. You weren't born with a wrong body. It is a mind problem. Yes. Dr. And Lutzer, we need to see it that way. Let me jump in. This break is right here upon us. We're going to grab it really quickly and come right back with Dr. Erwin Lutzer discuss- discussing the book, No Reason to Hide. Don't go anywhere. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. Our guest today is Dr. Erwin Lutzer, and we are discussing his latest book, uh, his most recent book. More to come. Uh, no reason to hide. And Dr. Lutzer, that break just grabbed us. I don't know if you were finished with your illustration here. I think it's so important for parents to be prepared to address these questions coming from our kids. Uh, Will the Great and I are married. We have six kids that we're raising. They are in the category of Gen Z and Gen Alpha. And increasingly, you see in this generation, I want to say like upwards of 40% of this generation identifies as trans or non-binary, some member of what is called commonly the LGBTQ plus community. So chances are our kids will approach their parents with this or have a friend who is dealing with this. And we need the body of Christ to be ready with an eternal answer, an eternal response. And, you know, first of all, before I continue that discussion, I have to say, and the reason so many children identify, we have to recognize that in our day, parents no longer raise their children, not even Christian parents. Mm, the culture on. raises the children. Come on. And what you find is that a cell phone in a teenager's hand does more to inform his or her worldview than an hour of church and an hour of Bible study. That's right. I remember a woman saying to me, I didn't realize that when I gave a cell phone to my 13-year-old daughter, I might as well have given her her first shot of heroin. Oh. So the addiction to the media, the addiction to technology is absolutely huge, and it's almost instantly addicting, by the way. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly why kids think differently. And then they go to school where all of these leftist ideas are affirmed. So that's what parents are up against. So Mm -hmm. what you have to do is to help your child to see. By the way, I don't have this in the book, but a recent study has shown, I'm told, that 90% of all teenagers who think that they are trans grow out of it by the time they are 20. Wow. So for many of them, it is a phase. Now, I have to say that this is so incredibly heartbreaking, and that is that young people are going through the mutilation of their bodies, mm. and they are doing that thinking that this is going to be the answer to their problem, when in point of fact, it isn't. Mm-hmm. Now, in the book, I talk about George Orwell when Winston was taken into a room and he was told that two plus two is equal to four, sometimes it's equal to, excuse me, two plus two is equal to five, sometimes it's equal to three, sometimes it's equal to both. Now, what is going on there? They wanted Winston to learn to live by lies. Mm. Our culture is bent on the idea of living by lies. Mm -hmm. And people know it's a lie. Everybody knows that men can't have babies, too. 
mm-hmm. or that um, you know a woman can father a child. This is utter nonsense, but we're expected to believe it, to go along with it, and to feel comfortable with living with lies. So parents, the first thing you do is listen to your child. If you don't listen to your child carefully, they will not listen to you carefully. So if all that you do is simply judge them, discount what they are saying, no matter how wrong it is, they probably will not hear you. You know, in the book also, and thank you, by the way, so much uh, to have me on this afternoon for the book, No Reason to Hide. I have a chapter on propaganda. I hope we can talk about that a little bit. But here's, here's a very interesting thing. Jesus made this statement, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I remember reading that as a boy, and I thought, you know, that's a strange statement because everybody that I knew had ears. <laughs> but what Jesus is saying is, if a heart is closed, no amount of truth or reason is going to open that heart. The person who has ears to hear is someone whose heart is open to the truth. Hmm. So that's why you have to appeal not just to a child's knowledge, you also have to appeal to their hearts Mm -hmm. to show them the love, the sense of understanding, the willingness to take in what they are telling you. All of that becomes a uh, part of the process of communication. Then you have to help them to emphasize that the man who said, I am a woman, that is my right as a man, and I quote this in the book, it's like a man who is five foot five saying, I am six feet tall, that is my right as a man. Yes. No, you have to deal with biological reality here, and the reality is if you're five foot five, you're not going to be six foot ten, six foot five or whatever. So, We have to help people to understand that self-perception. The other thing is how disruptive it is to a person when there is no sense of alignment between the mind and the body and to go along with something that you know eventually will not be the cure. It cannot be an ultimate cure because, after all, this alignment is really a wrong one, and it doesn't really identify who you are. So it has to do with self-perception, understanding that that in itself is not a valid basis for it. And uh, by the way, I say this too quickly in the book, but you know, there's a 52-year-old man who identifies as a six-year-old child, a six-year-old girl. He plays with dolls and so forth. So should we say, well, Only he knows who he really is. Mm. We have no right to judge him. Well, I think not. Right. I I do want to talk about, Dr. Lutzer, I I want to talk about the propaganda. And I kind of, and and I'm folding many questions, I guess, into one. But I also want you to address this collective clapping, the church's response or the demands of the culture from by Christians, that we would applaud their sin and mm-hmm. applaud their rebellion against God. And you you share uh, this account in their Solzhenitsyn's account, I believe it is, 
And it's just so chilling to read. And you think about all of the demands that are being made of Christians that we have to say this, we can't talk about this, we have to say that these people are inherently racist, we have to all agree, and there are some people who are, you know, for their employment, they've got to go through these, you know, DEI classes, and they've got to sign these documents, and all of it is sort of the collective clapping. Would you talk about that and encourage Christians listening today and how we respond? Yeah, the illustration that I give is told in Solzhenitsyn, as you mentioned it, In 1937, a deputy gave a speech in honor of Stalin. When he was over, everybody stood up to clap. The clapping went on for 11 minutes until the director of a paper factory sat down. At last, everyone else was able to sit down. Later that night, the director of the paper factory was arrested. He was given 10 years in prison, and he was told, don't ever be the first one to stop clapping. Mm. So our society today says, you want your job? You had better clap. Mm. The louder, the better. But because you raised the issue of propaganda, you know, in in that chapter, and this is a different chapter on propaganda, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's a different chapter than the story of Solzhenitsyn, but I want to comment on that because many parents who are listening send their children to universities that have speech codes. And uh, I mentioned this is one way of uh, language being used to propagate propaganda. I give six different ways, but here's one. All right, what are these speech codes? I quote a university that says you can't use the word policeman, you can't use the word freshman, and it lists all of these different words that are out of bounds. But then it says... If there's a barber shop in your area, don't say that he takes in walk-ins because, after all, you might offend people who can't walk. Now, what we have to do is to take a deep breath, step back and ask ourselves, what is going on? Is this intended to elevate the conversation? Of course not. It is intended to silence it. You have no idea what is right. You know, can you still go into a restaurant and ask for a men-you? Can women have a man-a-cure? Nobody knows. That's why a lot of university students, conservatives, Christians, say that they self-censor themselves. They just remain quiet because what was proper, you know, two weeks ago, so to speak, could be improper today. And so we need to know that the intention is to narrow the realm of thought in such a way that all of these students think like in a tunnel, so they all come out with ideological conformity, fearing to say a straightforward sentence Mm -hmm. in case it is out of bounds. Mm. So we need to understand that these are ways that language is being used today, Of course, it's also being used. Let me give you one other uh, way that language is being used. And by the way, the purpose of propaganda is to so shape people's view of reality that even when a mountain of evidence is given against it, it will not change their minds. But anyway, here's another example, and that is to take ideas and transfer them to a psychological state or to 
shame people. Yes. So you're opposed to same-sex marriage. You are a bigot. Mm -hmm. You believe that the border should be secure, like I do. You're a racist. Xenophobic, right. You are opposed to abortion. You actually hate women. So the idea is we shame you. You disagree with me. See a therapist. Mm -hmm. So we take Mm -hmm. ideas and we therefore translate them into this um, theory that anybody who holds them has a psychological issue. And of course, in the Soviet Union, if you had contrary ideas, you were put into a mental institution because you were not thinking correctly. You had a psychological problem. So everyone is to clap, to go back to that illustration, everyone is to be in lockstep in this culture that clearly has lost its way. Dr. Lutzer, do you believe that we are being Sovietized? I mean, if you, you write that in the book, like that when you look at America, now I'm, I'm switching back here, I'm looking at the culture. Um, are we on our way to that type of environment? Or are we here? Well, remember in the Soviet Union, advancement in jobs, advancement in any era did not depend upon ability it was dependent upon loud enthusiasm for the soviet system and this leads us actually into the whole issue also of dei diversity equity and inclusion where no longer merit is really the basis for promotion and so forth Merit now has to do with your enthusiasm. It may have to do also with your racial makeup and so forth. And so what we have done is the whole idea of competency no longer carries the weight that it used to. Right, right. So that goes back to what we talked about earlier about you apply for a job and if you don't have the right box checked, You won't get it, even if you're very, very capable. The other thing that happened in the Soviet Union was there was a fusion between the state and um, the media. So in the Soviet Union, Pravda was the main newspaper. Pravda means truth. So the truth became whatever the government told you the truth Mm. was. And so what we have today, obviously, is this fusion where ideas are censored, if you don't go along with the accepted ideas, they are censored and so forth. And that's where we find ourselves. And so to that extent, yes. And then what you can do is, thanks to technology, there's so much censorship going on, so much spying that we don't even know about. And uh, woe to those who don't fit in with the whole thing. You know, in the book, Uh, no reason to hide that we're discussing. I also have a chapter on the Great Reset and how, you know, Charles Schwab, who began the World Economic Forum, wrote a book on COVID and showed how that this gives us an opportunity to be reset. Well, part of that has to do also with technology, being able to track people, being able to know what's going on. And he said, the time will come, and he quotes someone, we will know whether or not you are listening to Fox News or CNN, all that information will be available. So that's where we're going.
Oh, man, I wow. really, I am so sad that we have run out of time. Ladies and gentlemen, the book is No Reason to Hide. You can get it everywhere you get your books. And again, right up there with We Will Not Be Silenced, um, I highly recommend that you get it and that you read it. Uh, Dr. Erwin Dr. Lutzer has been our guest today. And uh, boy, I wish we had another hour. We don't. So until <laughs> tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.